You're listening to the Writer Than You podcast. All right, good morning. Happy Wednesday. Welcome into the show. Bill Ryder with you. We're coming to you live from the Rocket Mortgage Studios. When you need cash out of your home in a simple way to get it, Rocket can. A lot of things to get to on the program today. Nick Saban with an extension, Alabama. So that reign of terror for every other SEC program. And really, every program in the country is going to continue. Kevin Durant, we, we hit this yesterday. It, the news about Durant and the Nets coming to an understanding broke during the show. So we'll just touch on it a little bit in this program. Alana Rizzo is going to join from MLB Network. Uh, she's going to talk, and I'm going to talk separately, Fernando Tatis Jr.'s apology. Uh, we'll get to Tom Celestino, executive producer of the show extraordinaire, and, and the one and only Andrew Bogish by herself, of course, is going to happen. Sammy Watkins is just helping the rest of the NFL make sure Patrick Mahomes has a lot of bulletin board material that'll be on the program. Uh, it's a it's a crazy day here in the in the writer household. First day of school for us here in our part of Southern California. That is happening for those of you with kids um, in different at different times around the country. It's a big moment. It's pretty exciting. Really cool. And, and you know, I sort of know it's time when my kids are up really early, like I am. When my daughter uh, doesn't want to go to school, and when my son is looking for my hair gel, which I don't tend to use unless I'm on TV and the fro is out. I got a cut yesterday. My ten-year-old hair gel machine. So it's a happy day in the writer household, uh, and a a somewhat sad day in sports with some news that came out just before the show. Although for me. You know, this goes back to when my great-grandfather passed away and sort of his thing. A, a life well-lived and a life that has the opportunity to, to, to be on uh, on this earth for, for a good ex- a amount of time is also worth celebrating. And that's the first thing I thought about when the news came down just a little bit ago that Len Dawson, the Hall of Fame Kansas City chief and, and broadcaster, had, had passed away. Now, death part of the cycle of life, right? Part, part of the deal for, for all of us eventually and part of the way that it goes. And um, Len Dawson, for those of you that didn't have the opportunity to know him, right? Very few of us get the chance to know the, these these famous folks who were who out there, was still an iconic player, broadcaster, and image. And there's a photo going around. Schefter put it out. I mean, I've seen it. You've seen it a thousand times where it's Len Dawson. I think it's halftime of a game. He's smoking a cigarette. He's got a beer, beer at his feet. The dude is living the dream. I had the great pleasure to get to know Len a little bit. And Len Dawson, one of his gifts was graciousness and kindness. Edgy, incredible competitor, Hall of Famer, and like a lot of guys that get to that level, don't get between him and success on the field. But off the field, the guy was just a, a gem of a human being. And so even though I only probably talked to him, I don't know, 15 or 20 times in my life, maybe more if you, you know, phone calls, I felt like, because he had this gift, felt like I knew the guy. And um, the first time that I that I met with him, I, when I, I worked at the Kansas City Star, and Len spent his life in Kansas City, and I worked, I had a boss there who came from the school what is the, of unkindness. It was just not a very nice, it wasn't a nice boss. It, you know, there's different styles. In fact, I can't give the name of the person because you know who they are and they're famous, but there's a really famous because this, this boss was good at identifying sports writing talent that became, you know, very, very successful folks. And one of those successful folks, and you can't even look it up at the Kansas City Star because 20 people have come out of there that have gone on to be famous. One of these folks made a mistake once, and the boss called him to his house and pretended he was firing him and taking him off the beat. And what he, what he in the way the story goes 
is that this person burst into tears, right? 22, 23, 25, whatever the person was, didn't know that, that the boss had called all the colleagues and had them hide in the bushes and then jump out. So I'm talking like a, a, a serious level of cruelty. And I just I tell that story to give you the context of the first time I got sent to interview Len Dawson. I was new. I had been sort of put through the ringer. I thought I was pretty tough, but I was like, man, this is not an easy place to work. And I'm going to have to go interview some crankety Hall of Fame quarterback. And if I don't come back with the goods, I'm, you know, I'm fired. This guy used to th- these guys fired me once, my boss, at a dinner with my wife. Fired me. I wasn't really fired, but I didn't know that. So I go down to the plaza in Kansas City, a place those of you in Can- that, that are from that area will know the the, um, the Raphael Hotel, like historic hotel. And and guys that are Hall of Famers, right, any of these dudes, even the nice ones, have told the same stories a thousand times. I don't know why I had to go do a, a Len Dawson story. I walk into this place, and I'm just telling you, Len Dawson could not have been more kind or gracious or giving of his time. We spent hours there. Um, he made a very nervous, very, very worried young reporter, me, feel totally at ease uh it's still one of the favorite things that i wrote not because and it's one of those stories as a writer often when you're dealing with with athletes or politicians or famous people they're guarded you understand that so you get very little info and you're trying to weave something from that this was one of those rare moments where i didn't have to write i just had to let len dawson tell his story because he was funny and he was cool and look the dude can sense that i was in a in a like oh my god what am i doing place in my job then we had some beers so it's just my story and i, I put it on twitter and, and and again what social media is stupid most of the time but part of what i like about it are some other folks chimed in with moments they had these quiet little moments with len dawson where a guy that was larger than life especially in kansas city missouri made you feel like you were a bigger deal than he was so so len up in heaven, playing football, smoking a cigarette, drinking a beer, doing all three at once. God bless you. Rest in peace. Thank you for your, your kindnesses to me and to so many people and for what you meant for Kansas City and the National Football League. We will miss you, sir, but but a life well lived that is worth celebrating as much as it is mourning uh, the passing of a legendary quarterback and just a legendary human being. All right, we'll get into the show. 855-212-4CBS if you want to call us. Sports writer, sports, R-E-I-T-E-R. Yesterday I talked about the yin and the yang, which I once misspelled. As a reporter before the star, as the yin and the, the yang. It's yin. So we go from a great guy and a great human being in a life well lived to a young dude who better figure it out, at least as a baseball player. I'm not talking about maybe a human being. That's Fernando Tatis Jr. Now, I wasn't on the air. I was off when um, the news came down that the same guy who, at the start of the 2021 season, so like a, a year and a half ago, signed eight. Ready for this? You know it. But I'm going to say it again because it's, it's striking. 14 year. It's a lot of commitment. $340 million. That's a lot of money. Contract with a Padres team that is not a big market, that has a remarkable future if they can capitalize on the young talent they have. But that is also about making sure you lock in those guys and, wait for it, you lock in the right guys. Right? When you're in a small market, it's not just you got to draft and develop talent. It's you got to make sure the guys that you retain, because you're not the Yankees, you're not the Dodgers, you can't keep everybody, are the right dudes. And Tatis Jr. went about pretty methodically. And with the kind of commitment I'd like to see him apply to baseball, proving the Padres wrong for giving him that deal. Barely played any games, motorcycle accident at the start of the year, which, again, I know we're supposed to maybe human nature give a guy the benefit of the doubt, Really hard to do when a young player locking in that kind of money with a team that desperately needs him and hasn't had his help gets injured in any way that's recreational, but on a motorcycle. It's a walking cliche. It's like if the worst screenwriters in Hollywood 
like want to do an HBO show. Let's do a story about an athlete who got hurt on a motorcycle. Like, nah, nobody's going to buy that. It's two nineteen ninety five. But that's exactly what Tatis Jr. did. And you know, catch you up here. You already know the story. Guy tests positive for a banned PED. He's one of the most noteworthy, famous, important players in the history of that program that baseball implemented after the steroid scandal. It's 80 games. There is no appeal. You're done. You're out. And by the way, there are some other big names that are part of it, but not as young and talented as Tatis Jr. was. I'm not making excuses for guys who are a little bit older, maybe trying to get an edge, but this dude's at theoretically the start of his, reminder, 14-year, $340 million career. And his dad goes out there and says, basically, I think it was on on radio in the Dominican Republic, you know, he didn't, you know, this is ridiculous. He had a fungus. There was a haircut involved. The sky is going to fall. Locusts are going to spread. Baseball stadiums will fall into the earth. I mean, it was some ridiculous, ridiculous stuff. And Fernando Tatis Jr., who, by the way, had bailed when he got the news, we found out later, from the Padres from his rehab, just got on a plane. His words freaked out and left, finally met with the media yesterday. I'm going to let you listen to him. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to preempt that when I heard the clip, a part of me wanted to come on the radio and be like, you know, because it does take some guts to go out there and do it yourself. He answered questions in two languages, which is something I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'd have trouble doing it in one, if we're being honest. And, and so that's not easy. Um, he faced the music. But there are, for me, certain realities. One is that certain things, it doesn't matter what your excuse is. We'll get to that in a second. And the other is history of the sport which maybe isn't his fault, but certainly should be in his mind, is I don't care. And I don't believe anybody, anybody who gets popped for PED use in baseball. I don't believe what you have. You can bring me the words. You can put them at my feet. You can lay them before the microphone. I don't believe you. And if you're the one in a hundred or one in a thousand who really did eat a banana that was somehow laced with a PED that should never, never should, whatever, he's saying it's a fungus from ringworm, which is gross, whatever, bad luck on you. But he did face the music yesterday, and the guy who's let down his team, who's underwhelmed in his contract, who couldn't operate a motorcycle appropriately, who can't stay on the field. And remember, this is a Padres team that are, I know they're 20 games out, 18 and a half of the Dodgers in the NL West. They are right in the thick of things of those three wild card spots. They're barely up in a very crowded and exciting and interesting race in the, on the National League side. And they got some good teams like Milwaukee and some other teams that, that they're going to be competing with. They could have used Tatis Jr., and here he is, instead of talking about baseball, talking about his mistakes. I would like to start this day just by saying I'm truly sorry. I am. Uh, I'm really sorry. Uh, I have let so many people down. I have lost so much love from people. I failed. I failed to swallow I failed to the front office, the San Diego Padres, Peter Seiler, H.J. Preller. I have failed to every fan of this city. I failed to my country. I failed my family, parents. I'm really sorry for my mistakes. So it's a really good apology. And if you listen to the whole thing, it, it, it's an excellent apology. It doesn't seem scripted, obviously. The guy's answering questions, and he's talking. He talks about it when he was younger. If one of his favorite players, he loved baseball, had done this, he would feel crushed. It's a really good apology. It may even be a really heartfelt apology. And credit to him for that. But in the whole of things, I, I don't care. 
And I'm going to use an analogy of something really serious because it's the best comparison I can come up with. Because remember, what Tatis Jr. did is betray his team. In fact, I'm not even going to make, I'm not going to walk through all the details of how I know he betrayed his team. And I won't play every teammate like, like Manny Machado who, who went at him, but not went at him, who were just disappointed and felt, felt let down. But let me give you Mike Clevenger, pitcher, veteran. And by the way, pitchers don't usually speak because they're not day-to-day guys. So when they talk aggressively about something, it is almost always with the permission and the voice of the entire clubhouse. To give you a sense of the betrayal that that clubhouse, that Padres team, the players feel, here's Mike Clevenger. Very disappointed. As, uh, you know, the second time we've been disappointed with him, and it's just, you know, you hope he grows up and, you know, learns from this and learns that it's not just, you know, it's about more than just him right now. No, look at this clubhouse. We, we really don't need anybody else. It would be nice to have somebody else, but we don't need anybody else. we got everyone we need right here. That's from the last few weeks. So here's my – I'm going to steal from D-Sales' excellent analogy on Kevin Durant yesterday. To me, this reminds me of infidelity in a marriage, where it doesn't matter if you're on the receiving end of that awfulness – what someone I would imagine would say to you, or what they're, I, baby, I got drunk, or oh my god, I was just depressed, or, or you know, my parents died, and I had a midlife crisis, or I was at a what I, there might be a really good reason, the apology might be incredible, baby, I had I got a haircut in, in the Bronx, and I got ringworm, and then and I had this fungus, and it it just made me lose control. I don't care. You wouldn't care. That Padres organization doesn't care, and. I got buddies who have been cheated on. Oh, awful. I got buddies who, who have done the cheating. I'm not going to lie to you. Scumbags. I mean, but, you know, but I shouldn't judge. I learned a long time ago not to judge marriage. You know, I, I guess I can run my own. But still, I'll be a part of my own. I don't run my own. 50, 50 30, 70. It's 20, 80, baby. That is the kind of betrayal we're talking about. But like in real life, when sometimes these betrayals happen, there are times, and this gets to details excellent, you know, for the kids, you see it through at least until college. 14 years, a year and a half ago, $340 million. The Padres are all in on this guy. And he did let them down. And you heard Clevenger say, we, we don't need him. But they got him. They're stuck with him. And so for me, and this is going to be a long-term reality, what I'm asking for, what I need to give a you-know-what about Fernando Tatis Jr.'s words, the garbage that comes out of his mouth, true or false, it's going to take a while. doesn't fit Sports Talk Radio well. But I don't care about what he says. I don't care about his apologies. I don't care about his real tears or crocodile tears. I don't care about the fact that when he was a kid, he would have been sad. Or it's true, it's not true. I don't care. It's his actions from this moment going forward. When those 80 games are up, for me, if I'm the Padres, you shut your trap. Or you can talk. I don't really care. I don't know why I said shut your trap. It's felt right. But you're on the field. You play at a high level. You're a professional. You are in great shape. You are taking care of yourself. You're staying away from ringworm, fungus, haircut problem. I don't care what, you know what? I don't care if, 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 if PEDs are falling from the sky in Iowa and you're going to the Field of Dreams for fun. Too bad. You, I don't know why I said Iowa. I'm from there. You're out. I don't care. You're in shape. You play a whole, you play 155 games a year. You do it at an incredibly high level. There is no more latitude ever. For, for Fernando Tatis Jr. That guy let everybody down. Credit his apology. But like with some things in life, you're past it, man. Doesn't matter. Am I glad that your apology sounds like it, it, it was sincere? Yes. 
only because it requires sincerity and an understanding that you screwed up to do what actually matters, and that is get on the field, change your ways, and be a ball player the Padres can rely on. Until then, you're every bit the letdown, every bit the loser, every bit the disappointing wielder of all that talent and power my boss was back in the day. 855-212-4CBS is the phone number. And, and again, I'm going to circle back. I'm all over the place. Uh, rest in peace, Len Dawson. What, what a human being, man. What a great, great guy. What a... What a life well lived. Uh, Nick Saban, another good guy, edgier, <laughs> a little edgier, I like Saban, uh, is extended his time at Alabama, a little bit of a raise, few extra years. What does it mean? I think it's, it's psychops here. It's psychological warfare, and it does help Alabama, maybe in a way that, that, that you hadn't thought about. We'll tell you why Saban's extension with Alabama is kind of a big deal, or at least a significant reality in the landscape of college football, next here on CBS Sports Radio. You're listening to the Writer Than You podcast. <laughs> Welcome back into the show. Oh, I like that rejoin. 855-212-4CBS is the phone number. Uh, we have been talking about Len Dawson and his life, and I had the great pleasure. It really was a great pleasure to know him a little bit, and what a, what a guy. And, and we've got uh, some some of you want to want to talk about Len. If you want to join the conversation again, eight five five two one two four CBS. Let's go to the great city of Dallas, Texas. Nadal is in the Metroplex. Nadal, thank you for listening. Appreciate you. You're on CBS Sports Radio. Thank you, sir. Thank you for taking my call. I um, uh, love your show. My first time calling. Um, you know, uh, did I, did, did I hear you correctly? You had a Casey connection. I did. So I worked at the Kansas city star for, for four or five years as a, as a sports writer and got to know Len there. And he was just, I mean, just a world-class human being. Awesome. Awesome. And, you know, and, and I, I just moved from Kansas city, uh, to Dallas about a year and a half ago and I love it here, you know, but, um, you know, you, you probably feel the same. Kansas city will always hold a special place in your heart. Um, once, once you live there, you, you know what I'm talking about. Um, I'll, I'll tell I'll share a little story. Um, and may he rest in peace. He was a unbelievable man, a, a legend, um, who, who just was a great representative of the community and the city and, and what have you. But, um, you remember the Montana era, I believe it was the Montana era where there was a first playoff game in the early nineties, Neil Smith, DT were still on the defense there. And we beat the Oilers at Houston, right? And Buddy Ryan was, was still with the Oilers. And uh, it got leaked out uh, that night on the 10 o'clock news on Channel 9 News, if you remember Channel 9, ABC in Kansas City, um, that where, where they were going to land at KCI Airport. So me and my KU roommate at KU, we decided last minute just, just to gun it, just to go to the airport and, and, and meet the players, greet them, and what have you. And once we got to the terminal, um, we got inside. There was, oh, my God, there was like at least 1,500, 2,000 people uh, right there at the gate. And it was, it was, it was like Judgment Day. I, I, I couldn't believe it. And, and, but we snuck in inside. And lo and behold, I literally stumbled upon the great Lynn Dawson. And, you know, there was, there was a throng of people in front of me. I couldn't get to them. And, and he was giving autographs graciously and talking to people and smiling for photographs. And, and I felt like he was, he was, you know, kind of done with it. He wanted to get out of the terminal and go to his car or whatever. But then I, the, the people kind of in front of me got their job done and got their autographs and kind of left. But I yelled out, hey, Lenny, Lenny, you know, and he turned around and he looked at me and he smiled and he came back to me. 
right? And he came back to me, and I, I stupidly did not plan ahead, right, because it was a last-minute trip with me and my roommate. I did not have anything for him to sign, but but I at least shook his hand, and I got to talk to him. And my Lord, what a good man this this, this guy was. Oh, uh, you said, I mean, you're, dude, you are so, you are so right. Like, just a, it's amazing how many other folks have had those kind of stories. Just, just a great guy. Like, I'm trying to get emotional about it because it's not like we we're, we're buddies. But I just, he's just a great, he was a great dude. Nadal, love the memory, appreciate the phone call. Thank you for being a first time caller. I think you're, I should have asked, listen on the free Odyssey. I appreciate you, buddy. Thank you so much. Uh, uh, good morning, Mr. Bogish. Good morning, Cell. I haven't really talked to you guys yet. First day of school here in the house. Let me ask you guys a, a question. I had to leave for work, but when I left, uh, my son only had one shoe, and that was like kind of a <laughs> four-alarm fire. I don't know if it got solved. You can't, can you get, in, like, you think child welfare services get called if you send your kid to school with a shoe? Yes. One sucks. It's yes. Not, not a great start to the year. Uh, no. This is the thing that, like, he loses a shoe. I think he does it on purpose. Like, how? Where's the other shoe? Like, the one shoe's here, but the other shoe ended up on the roof, See, and you didn't remember that? He and my Jake should be friends because my kid loses his socks all of the time because he'll come Ooh. in the house. He takes his shoes off either in the garage or the front door, depending on how he come in the house. And But then he'll walk in with his socks, and he just reaches down as he's walking wherever sock comes off, and he just, like, flings it. But then doesn't know where they go, so it ends up behind the couch, <laughs> on a shelf, underneath the couch. One's downstairs, one's in the kitchen. So you put the two of them together. Jake will always have shoes, Good. and I'm thinking Henry will always have socks. Could be a new buddy show. Jake and Henry and their feet. I don't know. I didn't. I didn't know where to go. Can we call him I, Hank? I feel like Hank and Jake no. makes a better song. No. no I, all right, for the, for the TV show. Okay, yeah, thank you. Yeah, because it does, it does. I just got a text from my wife who's clearly listening. I can't read you all of it because there are some swearsies. <laughs> but it was eventually found at the very last minute way under the bed. I looked under the bed, but it was way early in the morning. So I was just like, I don't see it. I got to go to work. Now, I have <laughs> Deuces, a question. Good luck. I have a question that this would fit the age group of both Henry and Jake. Do kids not lay their outfit for the first day of school out anymore? Is that not a thing? Like shirt, shorts, shoes, oh, sneakers, like at, the whole deal? Look at you just walking Lauren is in trouble or me. Uh, yeah. We did that last night, but we didn't think, and we should have, based on the history that Henry has with shoes and that Jake clearly has with, with socks, um, we should have laid out the shoes, too. But you don't really lay out a sh- the shoes. So, yeah, right. the outfit was good to go. Well, I was thinking more of, like, from Henry's standpoint of, like, being excited for the first day of school. Like, I, I used to do that myself, like, lay it out on the bed because well, I like, was so ex- I got, like, new clothes. With the new- shoes? Yeah. You lay the shoes out? Yeah, because they used to be brand new for the first day of school. Oh, we don't spend money. <laughs> no, it's... Right, like, like, like I'm, I'm assuming he has maybe one or two pairs of sneakers. Yeah. Not like he has to go pick ones that match his outfit for that day. So this is not a lie. He had three pairs. We got down to two. So I bought him new shoes to make it two pairs. And I mean, within a week, he lost one of the two shoes, and we still haven't <laughs> found it. It's the green. Was it Adidas? You know those green Adidas? It's, we got one of them. So like, I'm like. I picked that up. I'm like, have you ever found the other one of this? Like, no, Dad. I'm like, you guys are on your own. And they're both right, the right feet. It's not like you could send them in two shoes, you know, <laughs> different shoes. Oh, unbelievable. Uh, anybody anybody watch any House of the, House of the, the Dragon thing? We, oh, we still don't know? I didn't, no. Pe- Peaky Blinders get finished? Finished season three. Okay. You got to be 
Dude, you're moving. How many seasons are there? Five? Six. I find Piggy Blinders to be like cheesecake. I like it, but I can't have more than a few, <laughs> you know, a few servings. I'm all in. I'm, we're loving it. We really, we're both standing up watching the final few minutes last night of season three. We were so into it. Wow. That's weird. I, you're, the only thing I stand up for is Barcelona football. Soccer. Soccer! I mean, shoots. I do the same thing, so that's <laughs> and blue, not weird. Blue shoots. <laughs> It's true. Wait, what's without doing spoilers? What I, remind me? I've seen season three. What's the sort of plot point? Is that where he goes out? He gets taken out to the field? Uh, no, that is season two. Okay. Uh, season three. How do I say this without any spoiler? It's alert. okay. Season three is way too old. You can't spoil season three. You can spoil oh, season you six. You can't Got spoil it. season three. Uh, pretty it. much everybody in the Peaky Blinders gang has been arrested except for the main character. Okay. That's right. That's right. Oh man, that's, that's it, it is a good it oh. is a it is a really good show. And you now you've now met one of the best characters in TV history in in Alfred Simons, Alfie. Fantastic. Oh, yeah. Fantastic. Alfie. Tom Hardy is unbelievable. Yeah. Did he win an Emmy for that or anything? I don't know. And I don't. I also don't know how that works because it's a BBC show that right. ends up on Netflix. I don't You're know right. if it can even win an Emmy. Oh, so then he wins a BAFTA? A BAFTA? Is that, what, is, a, is that what they are? I think so. The British Arts and Fair Trade application? I, tried, is, I don't know what BAFTA is Or is for. that for their Oscars? You had me there. I was all in on that. I'm like, oh, yeah. No, I think it is. I think BAFTA's a thing. Yes, it doesn't stand for what you said, and it might, res- it might cover movies, not TV, but there is an award that's a BAFTA that you win in England. Yeah, that, that acronym's real. It might be a defense system against nuclear weapons, for all I know. <laughs> Could be both. But it, uh, all right, last one. You guys tell me, this is a, all right, tell me this is a dude party foul or I'm in the clear. Can I, can I give you the context of, of, of I think maybe I'm in the wrong here. You ready? Yeah. Got a group of dads. We, we've been hanging out for... Oh, five years. Like when I was in New York and I would come back because I was in Manhattan Beach, moved to New York City for two years to hang out with you fine gents, and then came back. When I would come back, we would get beers, four of us hanging out. And now, once every six weeks, we'll go out, we'll get drinks, we'll have dinner, we'll, ha- we'll, we'll, we'll hang out, right? And one of the guys moved to, moved to, actually moved to Dallas, where an adult just called from, moved to Dallas. Moved to Dallas like a year ago. He comes back. Three of us go out now, but when, he, when, when our, our boy John comes back, we all go out. So last night, today's the first day of school. I'm still a little jet lagged. Um, I'm an old man. I'm just making excuses. La- yesterday at maybe one or two, maybe noon, I get we get a text from John. I'm in town. Let's go out tonight. And the other two guys are like, yeah, because they don't. I don't think they have kids in the same school schedule. Like right, different schools. Different. And I go ah, I got I got start time. I got I got school, but I'm gonna try to make it out for one. It's a busy day. But then I go to play tennis in the middle of the day after I write a Durant column, and one of the guys sees me. He takes a photo of me because I'm wearing all orange, and he thought it was funny. <laughs> and sends to the group, like, writers playing tennis, he can come out. I'm like, all right, I'll, I'll come out. But I still got to like, get the kids to bed and, you know, whatever. So it's like I'm ready to go. It's 8 o'clock. That was a plan, sort of. I'm like, let's go. Where are we going? And one of the guys is like, where are we going, John? Nobody writes back. Nobody writes back. Nobody writes back. Nobody writes back. I fall asleep on the couch at about 8-4. I just pass out. At about 9, John's like, yeah, let's do it. I'll meet you there in 10 minutes. And, and then there's a string of, writer. we ordered you in Manhattan. Where are you? It's not. It's getting warm. I drank. I'll get you another. And then at like 2 in the morning, I woke up like, where am I? And I had to send it. Oh, I fell asleep. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> party foul on me? Or, because kind of late notice, or not party foul on me? No, in an upset, this is not on you at all. Yes. 
Yeah, normally this is the point where me and Bogus point out, like, Bill, I don't know how to tell you this, but, right. like, you were in the wrong here. Uh, you yeah. did you did absolutely nothing wrong. If they wanted you to come out and you initially were like, hey, I got a busy schedule today, early morning, tomorrow, they got to let you know what the plan is prior to, you know, 15, 20 minutes heads up. You did nothing I was just, wrong. I was worried falling asleep on the couch before 9 a.m. sort of, like, just made me wrong. That's sort of an old man move. No, I think the, you really your get-out-of-jail-free card here is that this all happened on the same day. Oh, yeah. Like, in the middle of the day, out of nowhere, hey, I'm here, let's hang out. No one has any idea what your day is like. And I would even argue that playing tennis does not then mean you have to go out because I know tennis is fun. It's not a job, but it's also it's on your schedule. It's something to do that you're committed to. Therefore, it takes away from other things you need time for. So you're all good. You're all good here. Even falling asleep on the, even if you didn't fall asleep on the couch and just said, "Guys, I can't do tonight," you would have been okay. I um, I have this new thing that I'm doing to to bogus. Want to take the picture, dear listener? Because you can't see me. I'm you know the old touch the nose point move. Yeah, I didn't know what that meant. It, I don't know what it means. Either. I love it means you the man. I think or we're on the. I don't know. It means BAFTA. It means... Is it anti D cell? Then I'm on board. Like do yes, we catch D cell? I. It is. All right. Yeah, it's very all right. Well, I appreciate the. Uh big fan of the uh, the reprieve. I'm going to I'm going to clip it and send it to the guys and be like be better. Uh 855-212-4CBS <laughs> is the phone number. We hit this yesterday, Kevin Durant in the news that he and the the Nets are going to just coexist in a in a loveless marriage for the sake of the kids for for at least another year. And I wrote a column on this for cbssports.com and Diesel was like, "Hey bro, there's a part of the column we got to hit." And it is shocking. And I'm shocked by it even though I wrote it. So we'll reveal that here on the show. After we get a CBS Sports Radio update from the incredulous Andrew Bogus. You're listening to the Writer Than You podcast. All right, here we go. Hump day. For many of you, the hump of the week. I don't even get the expression, so. But for, for me, Diesel loves hump day. The day that I get a gif. Are you a gif or a gif pronunciator? I go gif. There's a lot of people here in the office, though, that go GIF. Yeah. I'm going GIF. I get the the GIF gift from you of a camel. It's pretty consistent. The camel Everybody gift. enjoys hump day except for you and Bogus. I don't get it. I don't get it. But you're, you're saying enjoys the expression hump day. Yes. No, Happy hump don't. day. We're almost there. It's hump. halfway to Friday. There's nothing to frown upon. This is just like the, you know, are you working hard or hardly working? Yeah, I understand you've reversed the words. I understand the the uh, hump day. Yeah. Uh, we don't have to revisit it. I want you know what? I want you to have this. Happy hump day. You're right. You know what? I'm wrong. You are right. We're hump all great. trying to when make you... it to Friday together. We're getting through the work week together. Hump day. It's something to smile about. Is it corny? Probably, but it could put a smile on your face. Who am I to criticize corny? Both in the sense of what the term means colloquially or the fact I'm from Iowa. I'm with you. All right. Um, other than hump day, do you know what time it also is? Other than hump day? Yeah. Let uh, me, me tell you. Yeah, I would love that. It's time to say goodnight to that check engine light with the free AutoZone Fix Finder service. It'll help troubleshoot the likely cause of your light for free. Restrictions apply. Get in the zone. 
AutoZone. You walked. You just, like, ran just face first into that one. My my brain couldn't have been going faster because I'm like, <laughs> I know what we have planned for this segment. Am I supposed to lead him into something? Where is he going? <laughs> I have no idea. Oh, my God. I don't know. That was the... the um oratorically that was the out loud thinking version i can't talk thank <laughs> god i don't do it for a living of when when like you run into a to a to a to a closed door that's glass right or how many times in your life have you run or walked into a, a closed door i've done it 3 times in my life so i actually i don't know if this will count in your mind but it happens quite a bit in the middle of the night when it's dark and i'm trying to use my hands to feel for the closed door of the bathroom because we keep it closed now because of my son wandering into all the places. Uh, it happens quite a bit in the middle of the night, to answer your you question. You walk face first into a closed door. Yes, because I will miss it with my hand and hit it with my nose. That I mean, it counts. Yes. Um, yes. How many are we at? Are we at like 11 or 15 times in your life now? I mean, in the last two weeks alone, we're at at least three. Wow. Yeah. So, little Will, he's walking, but not like running around, right? Like, he's kind of like. Not running Toddling. around, but I mean, if you turn your head for a split second, he's in the bathroom, and he has this fascination with the toilet. He likes to lift the seat up and then splash yeah. around in the water. It's worrisome. You don't want the kid. I, I understand. Do you um? Do you guys not? Is he? Is he no longer? Isn't he in a in a crib still? He is in his crib, but you know, well, like when we're just playing, or he's just you know with his walker in the hallway, he he likes to go into any place he can get into. But at night, once you put him down, he can't get out, right? Oh, for sure, for sure. So do we need it closed in the middle of the night? No, it's just closed from when he was awake. Got it. it I, look, I'm not judging you. It's hump day. It's a day of peace. But if I were a guy walking into the door in the middle of the night, which, by the way, I, I tripped last night over a, a suitcase I didn't put away so I'm, and fell over. So I'm with you. After I fell asleep on the couch, it was a great night. I might <laughs> open the door. That's all I'm saying. Um, speaking of an open door, uh, the, the, the Nets – have opened the door back to the notion that Kevin Durant is welcome with open arms. Although, Diesel, to be fair, it's not really an open arms kind of statement they put out. It really is, as you said yesterday, a we are going to do this for the kids, we're going to move forward as professionals, we're going to focus on a championship. It feels like not a shotgun marriage, but a continuation of a loveless marriage because they have a shared goal, and, and the Nets played hardball. And I wrote this column after we got off the air yesterday over at CBSSports.com, where, where my contention, as I think we discussed on the show, is that Kevin Durant lost in a really stunning way for a variety of reasons. I think he did not properly read the room and the reality for the Nets, including the fact he had four years left on his deal, and that were he to be tra- traded, right? He wanted to go to the Suns or maybe the Heat. He want, not just trade me, I'm demanding where I go. And to be fair to him, he'd seen Harden do this. He'd seen Chris Paul pull off a trade. He'd seen Jimmy Butler. I mean, this isn't, he's not blazing new territory, demanding to go to a specific place while under contract and therefore lower significantly the price. But I think he underestimated the fact that in most of those cases, the people that made those trades were not in imminent danger of being fired. And that Sean Marks, the GM of the Nets, I think could be. I, I think you go from having built a culture of excellence and a really interesting young team, to trading that in for a triumvirate of disasters from a culture perspective of Durant, Kyrie, and Harden, who's now obviously in Philly, the expectations are high, and you don't have anything to fall back on. And if, if Marks doesn't get the right return, the GM in Brooklyn, 
he can be fired. So I think Durant underestimated when a guy has no choices, and I think Sean Marks didn't in terms of putting his foot down, as we also called for on the show, that's a weird kind of freedom. It, it ain't comfortable, but it's a weird kind of freedom. I think that Durant misunderstood and didn't think, or his, the people around him didn't think this three-dimensionally enough in the sense that the two examples of this, the two most recent examples of players forcing their way obnoxiously out in Ben Simmons and James Harden have been disasters for the organizations involved, and those organizations include the Brooklyn Nets. There's an up-close and very personal example for this organization of, man, this maybe won't work out. And then I think lastly, somebody got mad at me on Twitter, you billionaire bootlicker, because I wrote, here's a life lesson, don't try to strong-arm a billionaire. Look, here's another life lesson, idiot on Twitter, that I muted. Don't go up and punch a 300-pound weightlifter. Were you weakling? No, maybe. But he's going to beat the living crap out of me. Billionaires are stronger than the rest of us in the world of doing what you want to do. Have you never heard the expression, go something yourself money? Go anatomically and possibly anatomically yourself something money? And, and I think Durant didn't understand that the, the reality on the ground made things difficult to leverage the people beneath him. And then you're going to go to a billionaire? And, and as I have pieced it together and as I would speculate, strong arm, arm him? What do you do? This ain't the world of the sycophants that you live in. Durant lives in this bubble where he's mad at everybody and he goes to Patrick Beverly and he's got these burner accounts and some of the sports fans and media are like, oh, you're, you're sensitive, and the other people are like, leave him alone. But, bro, the real world is cutthroat and your fame doesn't matter and your talent doesn't matter when it comes to you going to a billionaire and trying to push him around and then leak the story a few days later try to leverage him. All right. All that, all that I think, is the reason he lost. And I also wrote, I, NBA is a copycat league, and major business goes the way that the winds blow, right? Trails are blazed, and people follow. For me, D-Cell, this will caught your eye. I think it's a major blow to player power. And it could be a, a shift in the dynamic on the scales of who has the leverage. Because, every, trust me, every GM in the country was like, oh, the Nets put their foot down. They refused to trade Kevin Durant. Not only did they refuse to trade him where he wanted, they demanded a crazy return. Other teams got involved. That was a win already. Memphis gets involved. The Celtics get involved. Teams that Durant didn't say he wanted to go to. Now they're in the mouth. Durant's like, okay, okay, maybe. Because Durant surrenders. This is a loss for Kevin Durant, and that is a win for other organizations and pushing back against players. It shows you can do it. I've been saying this for years. And not, you know, not that I'm a genius, but I have. It took one team to put their foot down to show that it can be done. And again, perfect situation of all the factors I told you about and Kevin Durant not being able to read the room and understand the, the, how the chessboard was laid out. That's the worst game of, 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 of tactical chess, you know, analogy, metaphor that I've ever seen in my entire life in sports. It really is. What, what a disaster by the Durant camp. But I think it paints a picture for NBA organizations they don't have to be held hostage. And, again, there's some other things here. Ben Simmons doesn't, I don't think, care about basketball particularly. Kevin Durant loves basketball. It's another reason I think he underestimated. He was never going to, again, I'm speculating. I don't think he was ever going to miss time. I think he loves it. And I get it, man. I love radio. I, I, I really do. I don't love every job I've ever had. I think you got that from the Kansas City Star. little story I told earlier. But I love radio. I love this job. And I, I'll do it because I can't. Like, I... I'm very lucky they let me do this job here at CBS Sports Radio, but I also have another job, and so it affords me the opportunity to decide if I want to do radio. And I do, because I love it. 
And when you love something, when it actually brings you meaning and happiness and fulfillment, and you're like, man, I get paid to do something that's really cool, it doesn't matter everything else. You're going to do it. Kevin Durant has that times a million because he's one of the best of all time at what he does. That's awesome. And it's, ba- it's, it's sports. It's basketball. You know? And if you love that, you get to live that fairy tale life if it hasn't been ruined for you by all the stuff. He was never going to sit down. So I know that's a, a determining factor. But, Diesel, I know it caught your eye. I think it's a possible change in player power. And I think it has the, the possibility it's a small little trail that's been created by the Nets. But I think other teams can follow it. They're going to have to forge a little bit, right? They're going to have to cut some of the things out of the way. But I think there's an opportunity now that the notion that star player under contract demands X doesn't get it outright because Durant showed through his ineptitude and his negotiating his negotiations with the Nets, that there is another way for for NBA teams. I'm with you, and you mentioned it. It's a copycat league, so the next Anthony Davis, the next James Harden, the next Ben Simmons, the next player who's like, get me out of my current situation. I'm unhappy here. We can't win. I want more money. Whatever the reasons are, at this point, I think that's the key. It doesn't matter what the reasons are. Will we see other organizations put their foot down like Joe Sy did, and say, no, you're not getting what you want. You are under contract. Yeah. I mean, it's and, and the four years, too. I, I can't when a deal's up in a year and you're worried you're going you're gonna to lose the I, – I, I get it. I also think it, it, it comes, this idea of player power shifting, on the heels of Ben Simmons' player power was a disaster move for everybody. Everybody. Same for James Harden. It's not working out. Even the winning teams are losing. All right, uh, 855-212-4CBS if you want to call us like Nadal and Dallas did. Nadal, thank you for the excellent phone call. Alana Rizzo, MLB Network, is going to join us next to talk some Tatis and just MLB in general here on CBS Sports Radio.